RadioInfluence.com. The future is now. Hey, gang, welcome into the A Place for My Head podcast. He's Brandon Thompson. My name is Jerry P. Tuck. Hope everyone's had a good week. Brandon, how's yours been? <clears throat> uh, isn't, isn't it fun? Every, every week I ask you the same question, and you always hit me with... <clears throat> I call, it's, like, it's like a different grunt. I don't know. Try to, <laughs> try to, uh, I try to grunt at you so you can understand. Uh, am I, am I talking to like Tim food. the Toolman Taylor here? What the hell? No, it's more like uh, Sasquatch uh, for that, you know, beef jerky commercial. I can relate to Sasquatch. I can relate to Sasquatch. Yeah. Um, His life is just so upside down. People keep messing with him, right? And just messing up his life (laughs) and pranking him and whatnot. I kind of feel the same way with business right now, you know? I was going to say, starting starting a business is never easy. So I I totally feel you. Every day, every day is a new challenge and a new victory and a new setback. It's uh, just, I just want to open my barbershop, man, and be happy. That's it. That's all I want to do. Uh, living in the era of a pandemic. You got to love it, don't you? And it's back, man. It's back. Really. Oh, it's back in full force. But uh, before we get into the meat and potatoes of, of today's show, and I'm looking for really looking forward to it because we're actually talking to a, a friend of mine that I've been buddies with for God, 20 years or more. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute, but we want to thank uh, Jarrett Reddick again from Bowling for Soup uh, for joining us last week. Dude, what a great guy. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, hey, if he, if he, you know, listens to this when we're done, I've cried twice since that episode. So hope you feel better, buddy. I, I would say I'm sure he, he's cried at least twice since that episode. At, l- at, at very least. Yeah. At very least. So, well, this, yeah, this week, you know, we're, we're talking something a little bit different. Um, you know, we've done shows in the past uh, about law enforcement, uh, about the suicide rate in, in law enforcement and things like that. Uh, that piggybacked with the episode we did on uh, Ernie and Joe the uh, crisis cops documentary um, this week. We're joined by, like I said, a friend of mine that I've had for, for tw- at least 20 years. Uh, her name is Jamie Gonzalez. She's a former uh, cop and former 911 dispatcher. She's actually being featured in an upcoming documentary called PTSD 911. And uh, it, it looks really, really interesting. Jamie, how are you, baby? I'm good. How are you? Good. Um, you've got such a crazy story to tell and you know you you can come at it from a different angle than most because there aren't many 911 dispatchers that were actually on the other side of those calls as well um you know normally and and maybe you can correct me if i'm wrong but i mean typically aren't you normally one or the other you don't typically do both right um yeah for the most part you either pick one or you pick the other so uh but there are people that there is a lot of us that do more than one, the firefighters or police officers or EMS. Hold on. I need to ask. I need to ask a very serious question. Have y'all seen super troopers? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. point in case, if you've seen super troopers, Farva <laughs> was always on dispatch. And when he got out on the field and he was in a, in a car with someone, uh, you know, he got in trouble. Obviously. Sorry. I just had to say, I'm sorry. So, so is this where I admit I've never seen super troopers? I have no freaking clue what you're talking about. Gotta watch these movies, man. You have to, every time I reference them and you don't know, you'll have to watch them. Oh, my, my wife does the same thing. She's a movie nut. Her whole family are movie nuts and they start quoting movies and I'm just sitting there with my thumb up my ass. Like, what the hell do I do now? I'm just, 
I'm just here. Um, well, well, Jimmy, as 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 a former police officer, what what did you think of that movie? Um, I I think it's kind of, <laughs> there's really no words. I mean, oh it's God. not comparable, but but it's it's funny. They I, they I make think a, it's a masterpiece. Of- it's a masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> we ask the hard hitting questions right. here on a place for my head, in case you didn't know. I digress. I'm sorry. <laughs> Wow. And it, as I was saying, though, you know, you kind of come you, you come at it from a different perspective from a million levels. And, you know, let, let's hop right in. You know, when when did you decide you wanted to get into law enforcement? Um, when I was 17 years old, I was shot in the head in a drive by and the ah. police officers. Yeah. The police officers that uh, came to the scene were less than nice to me. They basically told me that I deserved it for where I was. And um, I decided that I wanted to be some kind of change. I wanted to, I wanted to help people because I always knew I wanted to help people, but I wanted to help people and change uh, that aspect of law enforcement where, where they make you feel like you're the victim and the criminal and that you could be a victim and that's okay. Because you got shot in the head. I was going to say, let's let let's back up here. Wait, what the hell happened there? Um, so I grew up in Chicago, and I didn't live in the best neighborhood. Uh, we were it was like a a backwards drive by, I guess. We were driving by, and they shot at us. Um, I found out later, and I mean years later, that the person that shot us. I had an issue with somebody that was in the back seat of my friend's car who I didn't even know. And that he was actually shooting at him. Uh, they, it was a gang rivalry thing, I guess, but I didn't have any part in any gangs. So I was kind of like, so why would, but with the bad person. Hmm? So why, why would, um, law enforcement kind of put it on you and make it feel like it was your burden and your fault? So I, the kid that was in our back seat that they were actually shooting at was in a gang, I didn't know him personally. We had just met him that night and we were just going for a ride. So I guess it was because they thought that I was associating myself with people that were in a gang. They were assuming that because he was in the car that I knew him and that we knew that we were going to that area um, for, to start some kind of trouble for, for gang related purposes, which was wrong. We literally made a, a wrong turn and we're turning around when we saw them. But it only happened about three blocks from my house, so it's not like I was really out of my neighborhood to begin with. Guilty wow. by association, I guess. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and yeah, it was it wasn't a good situa- situation, and um, he just treated me like I was garbage, absolute garbage, and he actually changed his demeanor towards me when um, my father walked up behind me, who was a politician and he knew him and he changed his demeanor towards me and told me, Oh, you're so lucky to be alive. We're happy that we can talk to you. And, mm. and I, could, I could see that he was kind of two faced and that, that certain people mattered to him, but I wanted to be different. I wanted, I wanted to know that if you're a victim, that you're going to be a victim and I'll treat you that way rather than um, treat somebody like they deserved what they got. Yeah. I, I can't. I can't even imagine being shot in the head. I mean, I, I can't imagine being shot, let alone shot in the head. What was? What was? I mean, my God, what was your recovery like? Um, it wasn't. It wasn't terrible. It didn't go. It didn't go through my head. It didn't stay lodged in there. I actually pulled the bullet out 
in the vehicle. Damn. <laughs> so I have a hard head, clearly. But um, <laughs> well, I was just saying, as long as as long as we've known each other, it's I, I think I can say this and get away with it that there obviously wasn't any brain damage. No, no, no. And um, I went through a lot of MRIs and scans and. Everybody kept telling me I was so lucky to be alive, but I mean, my head hurt for a long time and I had a big, a big knot back there, but wow, didn't damage anything. Wow. Wow. But that's <sighs> badass to pull out your own, the bullet that's in your own head. I mean, damn. That's, uh... I think it's like, I think it's like instinct. If you have a sliver, you pull your sliver out and I put my hand back there and felt it. So wow. I didn't want that there. So Jerry, I want to reference another movie, but I don't know if you're going to get it. Have you seen Crash? I've been in a crash. Oh man, uh, have you seen Crash? Um, a long time ago, but I don't really remember it. Anyway, well, it it, it chaps my ass. Like when you say like they treated you a certain way until someone of authority came by, you know, and then all of a sudden the demeanor and the conversation and the attitude completely takes a turn. You know, um, I can't stand people like that. And I dealt with I've dealt with a lot of people that are the same exact way. And it's pretty common to talk behind someone's back. But to be in a position of law and be an officer and not saying, you know, they have control, but or power, but they kind of do. They have to, you know, protect people and, you know, all that other kind of stuff. But that's just that's awful for to know that there's people out there that will act a certain way, but then act differently when they're being watched. That's why we have body cams and stuff now. Right. I mean, I'm sure it's probably in more than one profession. Even the Dean at my school said that there was no way I was shot because there wasn't gangbangers around there. So that we needed to stop being. uh, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No matter where you go. I mean, even, even in corporate settings, there's, there's people in vultures like that. Trust me. I, I know them. I've dealt with them. So, so this happened when you were 17. Obviously, you were still in high school. What, probably junior year, senior year? I was a sophomore in high school. No, yeah. No, I was a junior in high school. You're right. Okay. So, you know, you, you survive that. You know, you learn from, from the experience. You, you deal with the asshole cops that, you know, the two-faced pricks that, that dealt with the situation. And, and you decide you want to be, you know, you want to be the change in, instead of just talking about it. And that's you know, so admirable. And, you know, isn't it, don't you have to be 21 to be a cop, right? You do. Okay. In, so in most states, yeah. Yeah. So I would say, I thought I recalled just over the years of us talking that you started out as a dispatcher, right? I did. I started out as a, I graduated from high school. And while I was in college, my professor in college told us that uh, we should get our foot in the door and dispatching was the best way to do that. I was only 19. I applied and started dispatching. I, I can't even, I, I mean, uh, being a 911 dispatcher, uh, you know, has got to be one of the toughest jobs out there mentally, you know, just from the mental health aspect, because you guys hear everything going on, but you can't see it. So I imagine your imagination runs wild with some of these calls. Yeah. You could picture, I could play out almost any high uh, priority call in my head, how I imagine it going down. I could see, you know, if there was a shooting victim or whatnot, I could see that person in my head laying there. 
I play it out in my, in my head, like a movie. And I know it's not just me. I've spoke to many dispatchers and we all see it in our head. So just because you don't see it, you're still hearing it on the phone. Usually you're hearing everything going on before the police get there. So you're hearing the worst part of it. And then you're imagining what's going on in your head. And then those, those images get stuck in your head, you know, like a movie, they just play over and over because you can't get out of your head. You don't have, most, most dispatchers don't have a uh, closure when, it, when there's a call. So you dispatch the call, they go to the call, they handle the call, and then the police officers, the firemen, whatnot, they know how the call turned out, but a lot of dispatchers are just stuck with the what happened or there's not that closure. Well, I, I mean, I, I imagine that some of the calls that you guys receive and the thing, I, I don't know how to put what, I, what I'm trying to say. Uh, um, you know, you never know when the phone rings what you're going to get. You know, it, it yeah. could be something as simple as something traffic wise. And then the next thing could be, you know, something domestic wise where, you know, somebody's beating up a spouse. And then the next call could be somebody was shot. You know, you, you just never know what's going to be on the other end of that line. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've had times where there was nothing going on and all of a sudden I had my chief of police stuck in a, a shootout and he was in the middle of in there shooting at each other past him. And uh, then it'll be quiet for an hour and you'll get a dog call. You know, my dog got out the back door and then the next thing you know, you have three people shot on one side of town and two people shot on the other side of town and your head's spinning. There's, there's no um, controlled environment other than you're you don't leave the room but you still can't control what's going to go on or what's going to come in you have no idea what's going to come in you know so often everybody when they think of first responders you know they instantly think of cops firefighters emts but you know if we're if we're being brutally honest 911 dispatchers and operators are are you know the first lifeline that people have mm-hmm. yeah I mean, we are first responders, and unfortunately, not a lot of states recognize dispatchers as first responders, but they absolutely are. We're the first person that anybody talks to. Yeah, and you're the one calming people down. You're the one guiding them to uh, make the uh, uh, right choices, like, all right, do this for me, do this for me. We have help on the way, like all this kind of stuff. Like That role is super, super important, in my opinion. No, I agree. You have to control the situation. You have to make sure that somebody's calm enough to give information to help them and to keep your responding officer safe. And uh, a lot of times we've, we've had to give, I mean, I've delivered babies over the phone or given CPR out and told somebody how to do the Heimlich maneuver to save their, their baby that was choking. So, I mean, we ultimately are the very first responder of any call. Yeah. I don't think anybody can argue that. No, not at all. You know, what? why do you think there are, you know, cities and counties and, and forces and communities that don't acknowledge dispatchers as first responders? That's that's just insane to me. Well, well to put it in the words of one of my old commanders, they see dispatchers as glorified secretaries. Not <laughs> what? Not wait, every... wait, wait, wait. How? That makes no <laughs> sense. I have been told before that we are glorified secretaries who work in a controlled environment and that all we do is answer phones. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of, um, you know, 
the police officers have cops. You see what police officers do on the street. And I think that there's a, a fire related one too, but there's not a show that um, depicts dispatchers and how they work every day. Uh, so honestly, I don't know if people truly understand what dispatchers go through. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten a call and people said, just send me the police. You're just a dispatcher. I don't have to tell you anything. Or I've had an ex the next commander tell me that we're just glorified secretaries because we work in a controlled environment because we weren't out there with, with bullets coming at us. We were fine. <laughs> I, I'm sitting here with my mouth open because I can't even I know, believe I people look too. at it I, that way. It's hard to even comp like say anything. Cause it, I'm, I'm so surprised at that. Like it's inhumane. Like, like, are they not humans? Like it, that's that's a weird situation because it's like I'm better than you. I was actually in it. You have no right to feel like shit. You have no right to to you know feel like you had any credit or anything going on in the situation because you weren't even there. You just took a phone call. That is just ludicrous, man. That's dumb. <laughs> yeah, that's completely asinine, and uh, it's it's reprehensible that people even even entertain that thought let alone say it and act on it i right. I, I mean that's just the the empathy and the 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 emotional side of it is just wow i i you you floored me with that one um you know i don't know if it's anything you want to talk about but you know all the years that you were a dispatcher what's what's the craziest call you ever got um i had one of my officers shot while I was working. He was taken hostage inside of the police department, led in front of the police department and shot execution style. He then proceeded to attempt to carjack three different vehicles. He shot one of the drivers and ultimately was shot by the police force after he killed our detective. And I'm guessing that detective is somebody that you knew. Yeah, we had worked together for uh, I think two years at that point. I mean, even if, even if I don't know him, I think that my heart still, still bleeds for any police officer that's killed just because of, because I know how it is working with them. But the fact that I knew him and when I started dispatching, my trainer told me the chances that you'll have to take an officer being killed is highly unlikely, but it's not something that any of us want to deal with. Luckily it's, very rare and then i got that call and it it was devastating it was probably the hardest thing i've ever done in my life how much time did did you take after that happened before you were able to get back to work um so they forced me back into work after three days we had wait wait uh, wait we they debriefed. forced you after three days yeah we were debriefed we went to his uh, waking funeral and we had to report back to work right after that, the day later, day or two after the funeral. Uh, so they said that there was, there was just nobody else to work. So you had to come in. And I was told that basically since I wasn't close to him, I didn't know him well enough that I should be all right to come back. I should, I shouldn't have any issues with coming back because I wasn't real close to him. So how could it affect me? <laughs> Except for the fact that I took the calls. And dispatched it. We watched it play out on the on the video cameras because it was right in front of the station. And whereas 
go ahead. No, 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 please go ahead. Oh, whereas the rest of my department that was there was allowed to take months off or however long they needed while they got help or drowned themselves in a bottle, whatever they chose to do. Uh, me and the other dispatcher were told, you have to come back because we need you. We don't have anybody else. Did they provide you guys, provide you with anything, you know, counseling or mental health wise or anything like that? The officers were given that. I think even the firefighters were. Um, but I had to fight for it. I I just had, I went, I would go into work. I had anxiety. I lost 80 pounds. I couldn't function. I didn't sleep. I kept telling them, you know, I need time off. You need to do something. And they kept saying, there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do. So finally, one night I stopped at my mom's house on the way to work and she called my boss and she told my boss that she's not coming in. She can't come in. Her anxiety is terrible. And my boss said, well, what do you want us to do? It's too late. She needs to come in. And my mom said, well, she's not. So they sent me to um, a psychiatrist who basically told them that I was that I had PTSD and that um, that had needed to be addressed. Um, and they, my department didn't really like her response. They sent me to another one who had even a more detailed response for them about how basically messed up I was. And uh, they ultimately forced me to resign from my position. I never went back to work there. Wow. See, over the years, you and I have talked about that story a little bit, but you've never gone that in depth on how it all played out before. So I, you're, you're flooring me with, with some of this. Um, you know, I tried to not tell anybody because I knew that what I wanted was to be in law enforcement in any aspect. What I wanted ultimately was to help people and the bad, the good outweighs the bad a lot of the time. And I knew that if I could, if I told my story, I told that to anybody that my chances of being hired by another department probably would be slim to none just because they didn't want to deal with the issues that came along with me. So I, I kept it to myself to, to most people just so it wouldn't get out because I was scared that I wouldn't do something. I wouldn't be able to do what I loved. Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> this kind of speeches. It, a, a lot of this kind of remind. you know, i worked for, I worked for uh, a television station locally for a long time and there was an event that happened um, uh, during my early years at the station. I want to say around 2011, maybe, uh, maybe 2012. I, I can't remember exactly. Uh, definitely a local story. But uh, uh, when uh, there was a, um, a pretty bad shootout after um, a warrant um, uh, needed to be served early in the morning um, and two officers were shot and killed in downtown St. Petersburg. Um, and then not even like a week or two later, another officer was shot and killed. I down remember down that. Peter. The first one was, uh, you know, the, the, the shooter was Hydra Lacey Jr. Um, and I believe one of the officers was officer Bateman, Bateman. And then I get I'm, it, you know, it kind of, I can't remember right now, but being in the newsroom during all of that and hearing 
hearing dispatch mainly and hearing the, 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 the real time conversations and hearing the real time um, actions and sounds that were going on during that entire process um, and finding out the, the, the things that a newsroom is privy to before they decide what they're going to air and what they're not going to air based off guidelines and whatnot. Um, and they get there. I mean, to say people are jaded in news, I mean, that's an understatement. You know, you're in a newsroom. It's like, hey, you want to see a dead body? No, I don't. Um, and uh, I just I'll never forget that time because I feel like it lasted so long because it happened one day and it kind of it kind of spilled over for a week. And then there was this, um, you know, uh, the, the, the funeral memorial and all these things. And one of the officers uh, was a canine unit and um, <laughs> it breaks my heart, man. But when they were wheeling in uh, the caskets and stuff like that, uh, the dog, his dog was losing his mind and was just barking at his, you know, his you know owner basically um and it was one of the saddest things i've ever seen and i mean it, it in this community in this area in st pete florida like it, it rocked the community hardcore and i remember doing all kinds of uh charity stuff and i still think about that that, that stuff to this day but that told that i mean i I remember being at home one night and just trying to explain stuff to my wife based off the, the stuff that I knew. And I'd break down just because I felt so bad for, for the families and uh, the children and the, the dog. I mean, everything was just terrible. And I, I, you know, I was just hearing, you know, maybe 50, 60, 70% of real time stuff that was going on and seeing the same, but knowing what it must have been like when that whole entire area was shut down and shots were being fired everywhere and everybody's doing their job in the area, including the police officers, dispatch, dispatch and uh, medical and firefighter, all that stuff, you know, that was just one day in their, in their, in their job, their life, you know, and that wasn't the last type, you know, that wasn't the last one. And the one that just happened isn't the last one either. There's going to be more. Um, so as much as that weighed on me and affected me, I can't imagine how you have to sort of expect that to be part of your job on a daily. Uh, maybe it doesn't happen every day, but when it happens, it happens. So, uh, damn, uh, I don't I don't care who you are. If you're part of that stuff, it you're we're all human, right? <laughs> We're allowed to feel things are allowed to mess with us, but no one's going to tell me, hey, you weren't there. You're not a cop. You're not allowed to feel that way. Like, sorry, pardon my French, but fuck you. Sorry. Well, and, and, you know, the, the two things that 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 Jamie said that, that really stuck out to me were one, you know, I, I'm just I'm blown away by all of this. It's, you know, one, she felt like she couldn't talk to anybody, you know, that's the scary part about this. And the second thing was, you know, when you're on, on the dispatching side, you don't get closure. Well, and, the, and, to, and to piggyback off that and not to use another movie, but any of you're the full movies, of movies today, I, I just, you know, it's, it's, it's what I can relate to, but um, you know, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, since you're the professional uh, and not myself when it comes to law enforcement, but it seems like, you know, if an officer d discharges their weapon, 
um, they go on leave after the fact for uh, for you know a mandatory investigation. Not not saying he he did something wrong, but they just have to look into it. And but the bigger part of that is they discharge their weapon, and let's say they had to you know take action against someone and shoot them. They need to take time off to make sure that they're okay with the with the traumatic events that went down. Like there's like a almost like a calm or cool down period. Even when you go to purchase a gun, if you don't have a concealed license, uh, if you have concealed, you can go in there and buy it right away. But if you're in the state of Florida, if you if if you want to buy a handgun, you can. You just have to go in there and purchase it, and then wait three days, and it's a cool down period to make sure that you're not you know making a sporadic decision basically to go buy this firearm and then go pick it up three days later. Um, but in the movies and stuff like that, when, when these officers like discharge their weapons and stuff like that, and they're in crazy situations like that, they're all they They all, they all make fun of each other. It seems like in movies, like I'm, I'm going back to like, uh, uh, not die hard. I don't know, whatever. It doesn't matter. The movie, they're all the same with Mel Gibson and all that stuff. Um, but, uh, the shrink that is like in house or something like that is what they refer to them. You know, they avoid the, the, the psych doctor, if you will, after traumatic times like that, um, because they're worried about them actually finding out what's really going on in their head. So they try to just say what they have to say and then get the hell out of the situation. But I'm almost wondering, is that real? Because like no one offered you help. No one offered you counseling. Um, is that even a real thing? in 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 uh you know in law enforcement to to have someone to help after the after a traumatic event so we were all debriefed we all got brought into a room they talked to us then they called us back a day later we all had to sit in a room and discuss everything that happened um that's where it ended for me where everybody else the officers went on to say that they couldn't come back a lot of them never came back they went on to get help we weren't offered that. But as far as police officers, I think that now that's, uh, I know that now that that's how that works and because of everything that's going on and because uh, there's more knowledge about uh, psychological issues that go along with those types of things. But I have really good friends that were involved in shootings in the, I don't know, late nineties or early two thousands. And they were, they did, they did take the gun. They did like an eight hour investigation and then they handed him his gun back and told him to go work the road because they needed, they needed manpower. And then he said, you know, I, I'm having these issues. And they said, well, th- that's normal for you to feel that way. So you're cleared to go back to work. This, this is all part of the course. It's all good, buddy. Slap on the ass. Get back out there. Yeah. Rub some dirt on it. Yeah. Get back on the field. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. And this guy, look like, uh, when I was laid off for about 10 months, I looked into um, going into, uh, you know, government job professions kind of thing and I dabbled in it, but I never really got like too far. But I spoke with one person about being a crime scene investigator, or at least like an assistant to or whatever. But the the person I was talking to was like, hey, you got to go. <laughs> If you do something like this and you're part of a team, like a forensic team kind of thing, um, you see some really rough shit. Like it, if you, you commit to doing something like that, you know, you, you could get called and go see a dead baby or a dead yeah, these, you know, suicides and stuff like that. They're not I mean, they're not I, I tend to imagine they're not pretty scenes. Right. Um, right. So 
all the way down to people like that, to the officers that get to that scene. That's, 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 you know, terrible car crashes that are terrible. Um, uh, even the firefighters, you know, they have to go in and, and, and they're there to see it. All the, everyone sees this stuff every day and they're just, you know, a, a pat on the ass and saying, at a boy, go ahead. You know, you're good. This is normal to feel like that. I, no way, man. I can't imagine. I, I, I don't know. I, it's hard for me to even comprehend how someone would digest that much violence and brutality and then function. <laughs> to, to an extent, you become cold to it. You right. even get kind of like a dark sense of humor. So I can see a homicide picture or whatnot. I could hear it go down and it doesn't, it doesn't affect me like it would somebody who doesn't it's, hear it every day or see that every day. Right. But I get it. Ultimately, ultimately it still stays with us and it gets to us eventually, but we have to cover it up with just being cold and dark humor. And who wants to live like that? Yeah. I mean, for, for a civilian, you know, it's traumatizing for someone in law enforcement. It's Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that's, exactly. you couldn't say it any better. Yeah. You know, was there any recourse for you when they forced you to resign? Was, was there anything at all that you could you could do or go after them? Or I, I, I mean, I, I can't even imagine after what you went through and then being told, yeah, you've got to go. I moved to Florida and worked for St. Pete. I mean, what grounds do they have to? That's, to, that's what, what I did. What, what grounds? I mean, what? Uh, what you know, like how, how, what grounds do they have to let you go in that, in that type of situation or scenario? Like it, I'm trying to, I'm putting on my HR brain right now because I've had so many onboarding calls from my company and I'm thinking <laughs> they had to give you a specific reason, you know, to let you go under those circumstances. And I can't find a thing, you know, I can rack my brain to be like, Hey, that's probably why they forced her to resign. So they didn't have to fire her. Yeah. Yeah. I got, I ultimately got a call from who was then the 911 director who said, Hey, we sent somebody to your house and you're not there. I wasn't there because I had moved. Um, but you're not there and we have to serve you with papers. She says, between you and I, there are papers that are, that are, is your terminate that they're terminating you, but you don't want that on your record, Jamie. So you need to resign. I'll take it until I don't know, noon tomorrow or something like that. Just fax it into me but you don't want them that termination on your file. So I, I never got the paperwork and I don't know what it said. All I knew was that I didn't want to look like I was fired from a job because I w couldn't do my job adequately or that I wasn't good at my job because I was. Terrible. And I didn't want them to take something from me that I knew that, that I loved that I, that I needed and my, you know, that's what I wanted to do. So I took her recommendation and I typed up a, my resignation e emailed it in. She told me she received it. She asked me to send my uh, badge back. So I did that. And I never spoke to them again. I, I do know, however, that I have applied to, I had applied to jobs years ago. And that when those people that were working there then, because they no longer, they've retired since then, that they uh, had told them, less than nice things about me and I don't know what they were, but they were, they were bad enough to make them not pass me on to the next level for whatever job I was applying for. 
You're talking about references? No, I'm talking about the commanders at the police department that I that where they forced me to resign. Okay. They, they, I don't know what my I don't know what the termination said. I don't know what was their legal grounds for for them trying to terminate me. I just know that they told other people, and I still don't know what it is. You know, it's bad enough that you guys have to deal with what you deal with on a daily basis, but when you throw office politics into it as well, that's the the side that the general public doesn't doesn't know or doesn't see or doesn't understand. And, you know, to be put in that position again, never knowing, you know, every phone call could be, I mean, literally life or death, but it could be something. It's a crapshoot about what it's going to be. And then to go through something like what you went through and then that's unbelievable. It's terrible. You know, I mean, it's easy people. I'm about to, hop on my soapbox but so be it you know people are so quick to judge the police lately and we're not we're not going to get into the 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 mess that's going on in the world right now but you know everybody's so quick to jump on the bad cops and yeah there are bad cops everybody everybody knows that but you know jamie what would you say probably 80 to 85 percent are good people yeah i mean i know so many officers that are amazing and they would do anything give you the shirt off their back right you know, they're so quick to judge, but this is the kind of stuff that they don't see. And, you know, I, I, again, I'm not justifying bad cops, so please don't take it that way. But what I'm, I, I guess my point is living through things like that and, you know, never knowing what you're going to get and, you know, seeing the things that you guys see on a daily basis, people tend to forget that. And and the the lack of respect for law enforcement lately, it, well, I'm not even going to say lately. Probably over the last 20 years, it, it's sickening to me. And not only not only do they forget it, they take it for granted. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. And you know, it, it's just like, you know, it, it it's disgusting because at the end of the day, you know, cops and and 911 dispatchers and everything else, they're people too. They put their pants on the same way you do every single morning. And, you know, I'd like to think that our listeners aren't in that group because, you know, I would like to think our listeners are a little better quality of people than that. But, you know, all you got to do is turn on the news every day and and you see it. And it's it's just so disturbing. I it's frustrating as hell. And and I'm getting off my soapbox and I, I apologize for going off on that rant. But, you know, it's I do you there's no way you can't not still deal with with issues from that call. I mean, every not every day. I I have anxiety all the time. How many Um, how many years ago was that? It was in 2004, I think. So 16 years. I don't remember. Yeah. And I have night terrors. I'll wake up screaming in the middle of the night that somebody's trying to shoot me. I've scared the life out of my kids. Uh, so I've, it never has gone away. It's gotten better. I mean, I used to not even be able to drive down the street without having an anxiety attack. So now I can drive across country and most likely I'll be okay unless I have to cross the bridge. Um, but, uh, the night terrors won't go away. And I, I just recently found out last week that there's something that they can do for it uh, because I was told until recently that they just didn't acknowledge PTSD 
and that there was uh, no no cure for it or that there there was no cure for my PTSD because they didn't understand how dispatchers had it. Um, so there's more there's more information coming out and it's evolving and and the words getting out there and we're all getting help or have more help than we did before. But I mean, up, up until two weeks ago, I thought that I was going to live with night terrors and anxiety for the rest of my life because there's just nothing I could do. <sighs> wow. That's terrible, man. I like, know I know people, I know like I personally have friends that are, you know, officers and friends that are firefighters, um, you know, friends that are nurses, even, I mean, they, they get the after effects of all this stuff, you know, after the action's over, they get the other action that starts up in the hospitals and stuff like that. And it's, I don't know, man, it's tough, tough, like much love and respect to everybody in that entire world that has to, you know, do that stuff. Um, just you know the the regular joe and that that would be me at this point the regular joe doesn't even know how how important you know it it is and how 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 insanely intense it is to do those jobs and those people need to be recognized the good people need to be recognized at the end of the day for 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 doing what they do i mean i, I i've always been passionate about you know uh, every, any first responder or anybody of that nature. Um, just because I know I've always had that in the back of my head, the respect in the back of my head that I know that they're, everybody thinks a cop is bad because they're going to pull you over, give you a ticket or they're going to whatever. But actually like their, their main purpose is to protect and serve. Right. So they're giving you a ticket because you're doing something unlawfully that could endanger someone else. That's not doing something and breaking the law. Um, and a lot of people don't think that way. You know, there's, a, I guess you could call it a stigma against uh, police officers and stuff like that. I mean, um, it, it, I, I don't, there's, yeah, I just, I don't know. It's such a, it, we live in such a complex and divided world right now that it's so hard to, to really express how you, how people feel and how our, we feel ourselves without being judged right out of the gate. But I, I, I firmly, I, I, I have no problem. You know, I, I, I love the, the first responders and the people that protect us. So I'll never stop that. Yes, there's bad ones. I definitely can, can agree to that. But um, I would have, I would hope, and and hope someone would agree with me to say the majority is not. I, I agree with you. I, I know, most of the cops that I know went into law enforcement because they wanted to help somebody and they wanted to do good for their community. And I know that there's, there's that, Oh, well, he must've got picked on when he was a kid and that's why he became a police officer thing. Right. And I, I'm sure there's a couple of those out there too. And those are usually the bad ones, but it's, it's aggravating that I know that there's all these amazing police officers out there that just want to help or help their community. And they get, um, told that they're bad just because of their profession and everybody disregards them. Yeah, you, you so. they already get labeled bad, right? Because yeah. they wear the badge. Right. It's like, oh, let's avoid right. the cops. Let's avoid that. Like, oh, God. No, you know, somebody, yeah. <laughs> it sucks. Yeah, I get it. Man, that's terrible. Well, you said you found out last week that there's been some progress on the treatment for PTSD. So, obviously, you know, 
you're finally to the point where you're getting the treatment you need and, and, and the help that you need to, to try to overcome some of this, right? Yeah, I'm close. Closer than I've ever been. Good. And I'm excited, too, because I can't wait to get rid of it. Good. I, I can't imagine every night reliving that. I mean, that's just, oh, wow. Yeah, that's rough. So let, let's talk a little bit about the documentary, uh, PTSD 911. How did you get involved in it? Uh, I had done an interview for a magazine, and I, so I was contacted by, by that director because of the magazine, uh, because of the article. Uh, but I am also an admin of a pretty large Facebook group for dispatchers and they sent a request in there to any dispatchers that have a story to tell that, that could, uh, help their storyline that to submit their stories. So I know that there's not a lot of dispatchers that have gone through what I did, but I definitely know that I had issues that should be dealt with and needed to come to light. So I submitted my story and they contacted me. We did an interview and I agreed to help them with their documentary because I think that it's for an amazing cause and it's, it's going to help a lot of people that either feel like they can't tell their story or get help because they don't want to be viewed as weak or that they think that there's no help for them. Just people like me that, you know, you're doing what you love and you don't want anyone to know because you're scared that you won't be able to do that anymore. So if, if me doing this documentary can help anybody, then I, I absolutely am on board with that. Well, I know you had sent us the trailer for it. Uh, and as we record this on uh, Tuesday night, July 14th, you, you said the trailer comes out tomorrow, right? Right. The official trailer will come out tomorrow. Okay. As, when it comes out, is there any issue with us sharing it? No, I, I would love for you to share it. That'd be great. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, we can definitely, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely make that happen. Um, you know, anything we can do to help get the word out about that, uh, it's definitely time well spent. So, uh, we'll, we'll help spread the word on that for sure. Wow. Thank you. Uh, Brandon, this has probably been one of the most powerful episodes we've had. I, 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 Understatement, my friend. Understatement. You know, it's it's funny, Jamie. You and I have known each other so long, and you you blew my mind with some of this stuff because, yeah, you know, I knew stuff had gone on, and I'd known bits and pieces. But like I said before, I, you'd never opened up like that to me before. So thank you. Oh, thank you. And 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 thank you for trusting us to to tell your story. And thank you for everything you've done. Yeah, no doubt. Um. That's going to do it for, for this week. Um, I, like I said, my mind is blown. So, um, you know, don't forget to, you know, not all cops out there are bad. You know, not all 911 dispatchers are secretaries. That's the most asinine and ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. But, you know, don't forget to take care of those in your community. You know, that's something I'm, I'm big on. And I know Brandon is well. It Brandon is as well. You know, from, from my time in radio, we, we would do a lot of stuff with the police departments and, you know, in the community and, you know, we were so involved and, you know, little things like that make a big difference. So, right. you know, in and your, like, when we when we when we po- when we post the uh, the trailer, which I'm assuming you're going to do now, Jerry, um, 
uh, read this, read the, the stats in there, you know, uh, the percentage of, of, uh, you know, the suicide rates and all that kind of stuff of what these guys go through and these women go through. Like it's, it's powerful. It's a two minute trailer, but it's super, super powerful. And it's real. It, this stuff is happening. It's not this small. It's not just a small group of, of, of first responders and people that are in this industry. It's everywhere. You know, I sent you a, a text like a few days ago when um, Elvis Presley's grandson committed suicide at, at 27 self-inflicted gunshot wound. So even the king's grandson suffers from depression and everything else that goes on in this world. No one is invincible. No one is. No one gets to walk away from these situations or whatever's going on in our head and just say, I'm good because of who I am. It's not a choice. Well, and so, we've, yeah, and we've talked before, uh, you know, especially, you know, in the law enforcement world. And Jamie, you can chime in here because obviously you're in the middle of it about how high the suicide rate is among law enforcement. And, you know, we need to take care of our law enforcement people much better than than what they're getting. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I'm I'm sure you've known some people that haven't dealt well with that lifestyle. Am, am I right? I'm there. I worked at a department where one of the officers did commit suicide. And in Chicago last year, I remember it seemed like almost every month they were saying a police officer committed suicide. They killed themselves outside the station when they were done with their, uh, their shift. And it's just that there's, there's just no outlet for them. And it's sad because who do you talk to if nobody wants to listen or, you know, and it's just, it's so hard and unfortunate. Damn, Damn man. That it's unfortunate is it's like I go back to those apps that are advertising right now so that people that are afraid to talk to people, afraid to talk about their situations because they don't want to be called out or demand uh, because they have a, a, a problem in their head and they capitalize on those people and charge them ridiculous amounts of money for the service. And then it just becomes a moot because it doesn't do anything for people that don't have money. I feel like there should be a service like that out there for first responders and people like that. They can go when they need to and not have to pay for it. I mean, you know, unions should be doing something about this stuff. Uh, I mean, go ahead. A lot of departments, a lot of departments do have now their, starting to evolve a employee assistant program. So there wasn't one when I was involved in that, that wasn't a thing, but they've started to evolve and there's more help for them than before. But there's also that constant fear that, well, what if, what if somebody finds out and then they get rid of me just because they think that I'm weak or whatnot. So times have gotten better as far as uh, assistance for first responders. But mm-hmm. it still needs it needs to evolve more. Well, yeah. And because- not to mention, like uh, uh, when you watch the trailer, everybody touches on the fact it's like, I got to hold it together. I got to get to retirement. I got to do this job. I got to do this. I can't I don't know how to do anything else. I have to I have to pull it together and, and, and make sure I do this job. That's all I want to do and know, know how to do. And I feel like that comes from if I show weakness as an officer and I go to someone for help, then that whole political debate that's out there in the entire nation right now saying mental health needs to be looked at if you're going to try to obtain firearms. So as an officer, you're going to say, if I'm 
if I'm weak minded and I show myself to someone, it won't be in confidence. It won't be protected by uh, a client, doctor, uh, whatever that protection is, uh, confidentiality. Um, they're going to take my weapon away and I'll no longer be able to do the job that I love to do so much. So I'm just going to bottle this up inside and write it out and and make the best of it. And that mm-hmm. is super unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <sighs> I, I'm, I'm just, I, I'm at a loss on this because, you know, the, the whole premise of us starting this podcast was to break the stigma. And, you know, unfortunately in, in the law enforcement community, that stigma is larger and, and more of an issue than I, I would assume than any other profession out there. And, and I understand it. But at the same time, you know, and we've talked about this in other episodes, you know, you can't be right if your head's not in a good place either, you know, and especially in law enforcement, if your head's not in the game, you know, that literally could mean life or death for someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, we've got to break this stigma somehow. Jamie, thank you so much for joining us. I, I really appreciate it. And, you know, you know, I'm always here for you. I'm just a phone call away. Um, and, you know, let's let's get the word out about this this uh, documentary, uh, PTSD 911. All right. Sounds good. Thanks. Jamie, you're awesome. Thank you. He's Brandon Thompson. My name is Jerry P. Tuck. Until next week, I'm going to go make a stiff drink and try to absorb some of this. Don't forget to hashtag get it out. Radio Influence strives to bring you excellence in podcasting. We work with personalities like TV chef Brian Duffy, radio personalities like Ian Beckles, news and political pundits like independent journalists Frank and Tracy Beans, experts from the sports world like veteran football scout and coach Chris Landry, pro wrestling personality David Penzer, MMA experts Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan, and strength and conditioning coach Jeff Crushell. If you're looking for food, sports, music, entertainment, politics, no matter the topic, Radio Influence has something for everyone. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com. Thank you.